0: Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essay speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. We would also like to inform you of an upcoming Sexaholics Anonymous internet marathon. Around the World in 24 Hours will take place starting at noon, Universal Time, on November 29th and will end properly at noon Universal Time on November the 30th. It's free to register online at www.sim.sexaholicsanonymous.eu. Thank you very much and without further ado, welcome to The Daily Reprieve. All right, welcome everybody. Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're from. My name is Dennis, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic in Alaska, and I'd like to start this out with a prayer so that I can surrender and get out of the way, so that uh, my higher power can uh, use me in any way that he sees fit. God, I just pray right now that I would just uh, completely get out of the way, I will take the next step, and I will completely uh, leave the results up to you. Amen. Um, Today I want to talk about freedom from lust in the marriage bed. It comes from my own experience. Um, When I first got into this program, my sponsor wanted me to do 90 meetings in 90 days, and he also wanted me to do 90 days of abstinence. Uh, He was very insistent that, number one, I talk with my wife and we come to agreement on this. Um, He had explained to me that if I go 90 days without any type of acting out, masturbation, or, or anything, that there's something that switches in my brain. He also said that <clears throat> he wants me to discover that sex is optional. Uh, it, to this point in my life, I was uh, meeting people anonymously, um, picking up prostitutes, going to massage parlors, at least two to three times a week, sometimes more. And I couldn't stop. It was just with the thought, the compulsion would hit. So um, he wanted me to do the 90 days of abstinence for those two reasons. But now, but more importantly, with the 90 days of abstinence, because the sexaholic is such a loner. I was such a loner that I could not connect in any type of intimacy with another person. So one of the main parts of doing <clears throat> a 90 day abstinence period was to spend intimate times. It didn't have to do with any type of sexual touching at all. Um, It had to do with spending intimacy with my wife. And he always told me that intimacy is into me you see. So he wanted me to be able to see into her, into her heart. So we would schedule um, walks. We would schedule walks in the park, holding hands. Um, We would schedule time together just to get coffee. So we replaced all of the times that I would manipulate and show up, you know, when we would go on a date before program was strictly so that I could have sex. I was very kind. I was very pursuing. You know, I was very, but it was all to have sex. And if I didn't get it, then I would go into sulk and I would go out and really um, participate in my disease. So this was an opportunity for me to go through a process of complete abstinence. And what I found is I started going through the 90 days of abstinence. The beginning days were were hellish. I mean, they absolutely were. Sometimes I felt like um, I was going to die. And I would wake up sometimes at night uh, with just a strong, strong urge to masturbate. And I would get up immediately. I would pray. My sponsor has me slide to my knees any time I get out of bed. I have a set of prayers I say. And then I would get up and read a a story out of the big book and reconnect with my program and my higher power. Um, But it was amazing if I took the steps and the work. um, The attacks seemed to get less and less powerful as the days went on. And I would say around day 55 or day 60, for the first time in my life, and I'd been trying since I was twelve years old to quit. That the um I felt that for first time that sex was optional. And it just dawned on me, it's just like, wow, wait a minute. I really could go the rest of my life without ever having sex again. And I really loved the freedom that I felt. Um, I continued and enjoyed Um, being with my wife and I started to notice small things. I started to notice the expressions on her face. I was married to her at that point for 29 years. We've been married 33 years now, but I started noticing these expressions and I just started falling in love with her all over again. Um, just the way she was, you know, she was, and I started noticing her and started to becoming, as my sponsor would say, uh, you know, spending intimacy time with her. Well, as the 90 days, and there were some times that, you know, where we both, you know, wanted to give up on the abstinence period, but I was at that point and to this day, I follow my sponsor's suggestions. If he says, whatever he tells me, he says, hop up and down on one leg, I'm going to go out there and hop up and down on one leg. Whatever he tells me, I do, um, because I wanted to be free from this disease so badly. Um, But as we reached that 90 days, I felt some fear. Because I was experiencing a freedom that I had not experienced before. Um, And it's important that when that time comes for us to be physically intimate again, um, we don't, my sponsor did not want me and my counselor did not want me to become sexually anorexic. um, Because I was enjoying freedom I'd never experienced. Because see, sex isn't the problem. It's lust. You know, so how can I continue to progress in my program and have sex let's see the sex isn't the problem it was lust all along so I had to really start looking at my actions and my behaviors to start becoming aware and I prayed for this my first 90 days one of my main prayers for the first month was God show me all the little bottles that are still in my life what am I taking drinks what am I kind of hiding and keeping um, and it could be anything from a picture to an email that was kind of every two weeks get the travel email. Um, all that had to go. And the last place that I really started identifying the bottles was the um, was fantasy, the thoughts. I can't, even to this day, I've been in four years now, sober for four years, thank God. Um, a thought will come. Um, back then it was very powerful for me to want to entertain the thought or the image that came to mind. Now it just is. It's just a quick thought. Um, It's like a little wisp of smoke. It comes, and it just kind of dissipates. It doesn't have any power. But in the beginning, it had great power. And if I have a thought or if I take a drink, um, excuse me, if I have a thought or if I see something visually, like I walk into a store, those aren't drinks. Those aren't lust drinks where I've ingested the poison. Those are temptations. Um, The thought can come to mind. That's part of the the first step of understanding the strange mental blank spots. But when those thoughts come to mind or when I see something visual, I get to turn to my higher power immediately. And sometimes even when I don't want to, when every fiber in my body wants to take the drink, if I will turn to my uh, higher power immediately, his presence, which is my comfort, will flood in. I will feel immediate relief. Um, And in the beginning, it was subtle relief. Now it's immediate Refi. I will feel joy, which is his love, and I was also my thinking changes that's the the greatest part about me surrendering is my thinking changes. I really from I think I need this to I really don't want that. I don't want any part of lust it's it has destroyed my life, it has harmed me. you know I could only see what lust was doing. For me, I couldn't see what lust was doing to me until I got into this program and started having a spiritual awakening <clears throat> and having a sponsor point out along the way, he's showing me, here it is, Dennis, here it is. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can see that. So I started seeing how harmful uh, lust actually was. So we got out of the 90-day period and... I remember I was in, I had some stuff going on at work that was high stress. My wife had learned enough about sexaholism at that point that she knew that when a sexaholic is very disturbed or under a lot of stress, that that's the time that they may want to act out to relieve that. And she, one day I came downstairs and she said, honey, I know you've been having a really tough time at work and everything that, you know, maybe we should, you know, this Actually, this was before the abstinence period. This was like a couple of days before. And she offered that we could be together physically intimate. And it just, oh, it, number one, it hit me like, I definitely want that. But number two, I realized that that was being offered out of fear that she was trying to take care of me. And I invited her in, and I said, let's kneel down, and, and I want to pray, because I wanted to show her that the only thing that's ever going to keep me um, to keep me free is going to be my higher power. So I kneel down and I prayed at that moment and I, and I let her know that you know the only thing that's going to be able to keep me free is me working my program and going there because if I, if I took her up on that and the next day I had to leave town, she's always going to be wondering, I wonder if that was enough to keep him sober while he's gone. The answer is no. When lust is present, it never was enough. Um, I could pick up a prostitute and be with her and then masturbate later in the day. There just they're, It was never enough. So I couldn't rely on her and I couldn't rely on um, uh, sex and because that would be lust. So I had to ask myself, when we start to enter into a place where there's a possibility that we're going to be physically intimate. Um, Number one, I I have to be spiritually connected to her. If I'm not, then I can't. But here's the four things I always ask myself. Do I feel like I need this? Like, do I feel like I'm needing this right now? If I feel like I need it, I can't have it. Um, That's not healthy for me. Um, Do I feel like I'm wanting this to relieve stress? Or to find comfort. If I feel like I wanted to relieve stress or find comfort, I can't have it because it's lust, it's it's false, it's not real. And the last one is the big one. Am I feeling like I want to be physically intimate with her to have a connection with her? See, that's the big one right there, because if I'm feeling like I need to have a connection, all of those things I feel like I need it, I want to relieve stress, find comfort or have a connection are all as a result of me but not being connected to my higher power. And when I'm not connected to my higher power, then I am feeling um, restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm feeling like I need to medicate. And lust is not about sex. Lust is about trying to fill the void that's meant for my higher power. And I can feel it in many ways. I can feel it with sex. I can feel it with drugs and alcohol and food and shopping and work. So lust is really universal. It's what do I use to fill my God-desire is what it really comes down to. So what happens is if those things are present, then I – and i got to tell you, I don't do this perfectly. But let me tell you the results of not doing it perfectly. The result of not doing it perfectly is that – When me and my wife are taking a walk to the park and we're holding hands and we're feeling so close, we sit next to each other as we're watching a show, we snuggle up next to each other, or we're having great conversation. We're intimately connected. We have a spiritual connection that's far more beautiful than our physical intimacy ever was or ever could be. If during the times of spiritual connection we are going to be physically intimate, Um, if I feel like I need this, like I want this to release stress, find comfort, or to have a connection, um, what happens is if we're physically intimate, the next day we're not fighting, but we're just separated. Like we sit on opposite ends of the couch or we just, you know, yeah, okay, you go do your thing, I'll do mine. We're spiritually disconnected. There's a great chasm between us and we're separated and it's very sad and lonely, um, It's not worth it, but if we are spiritually connected and we've really enjoyed uh, intimacy together and I don't feel like I need this, I don't feel like I'm trying to relieve stress, find comfort, or I don't feel like I need a connection because I'm already connected to my higher power, I'm spiritually connected with her, then we are physically intimate. There's a great bond that occurs afterwards. We can't sit close enough together. I, it doesn't matter what we're going to do during the day. We just want to be together. Even if we're going to run to the store, let's run to the store together. Let's be together. And we are—we uh, hold hands when we drive. I mean, it is just a connection that I can't explain other than it's, it's really, really wonderful. So for me, as I go through and trudge this road of happy destiny, part of this path is to not – Uh, to surrender when I'm feeling like I know I really feel like I need this and to surrender that and to go find what I need in God and in this program and reading the literature and calling people in the program, being a service because when I take that choice, you know, because there are times that I'm feeling that way and the opportunity to be physically intimate is present and I can go forward. Uh, When I do, uh, we suffer. When I don't, It's very, very beautiful, and I get to live in this uh, beautiful life of happy joys and free of recovery, and I get to enjoy what I believe, um, what my higher power has for me, and that is relationship with him, with my wife, with my children, and with my fellowship. And those people around me, I get to love them well, and that's the beauty of working the steps, gets me to a place where I actually can experience that and actually have the tools to keep my ego deflated and that I can truly enjoy what this program has to offer. So with that, I will pass. I'm Dennis. I'm a grateful recovering sexist from Alaska, and uh, amen.